0: Thank you for listening. My name is Rahul Soans and I am the host of the On Meaningful Work podcast. In this episode, we speak with Luca Perry. Luca is a former teacher and school principal from South Australia. Always an innovator, he is now a consultant and facilitator who works across the globe with teams and schools, as well as organizations, speaking on leadership, well-being and innovation. In this episode, we cover Luca's incredible journey Lessons he has learned along the way, along with his thoughts on the future of learning and work. Also, just a note on the audio quality given this, given the COVID 19 situation, this is our first recording over Zoom. So, please bear with us if the audio quality is not up to scratch. Thank you and hope you enjoy. Mr. Luca Parry, thanks so much for
1: being on. Thanks for having me, Rahul.
0: Um, so, I mean, I'm really glad that we've decided to connect here, and, you know, you've decided to do this podcast, because uh, I think you've so- you are someone that I've kind of looked up to, but also been amazed by, and uh, you're one of those guys who I thought, wow, like, he has really found something that he is extremely passionate about, and is really bringing the full force of his self to what he does.
1: Flattery will get you everywhere, brother. <laughs> so it's a great starting point. Now look, thanks. thanks so much. I'm really, yep. mm. I'm really excited for the conversation. You know, we've had some wonderful ones over the years and uh, these are extraordinary times. So yeah, thrilled to connect. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, I think before we get into it, we are recording this podcast uh, on 7th of September 2020. We're right in the middle of COVID. uh how are you how are you uh, coping are you doing well
1: yeah um i am thank you for asking i mean i'm in south australia on uh on like a our family farm here um a little family farm but you know it's it's a lovely environment and it's you know my my thoughts really go out to the people that are really in proper stage lockdown be that in you know across victoria in melbourne where you are um or in other parts of the world, you know, like what we know about the role of social connectedness and how crucial it is for our well-being, And, you know, so the idea of being physically distant, but socially connected is just so crucial. Um, And I've just come to acceptance, you know, like a lot of the exciting plans for 2020. Well, they've either been canceled or moved to 2021 or 2022. Uh, Hopefully not, but, um, but you know, when it comes down to it, it's, this is a moment for all of us to stop, take stock and think, what is, what is really important? Like, what is, what are the things, the people, the communities, the activities from which we derive the most meaning? And mm. that's a big question. But if we can't ask these questions now, um, and kind of get out of some of the patterns that we perhaps get into, um, mm. or a patent by different kind of mental models, etc. Um, I don't think there's anything that can actually pull us out to become, I think, a little bit more mindful and conscious of the role that we want to play um, in the world. Sure,
0: uh, and and you know that's all really uh, ripe for discussion uh, in, in in this chat. But but before we get into that, let's um, let's we we'll start with your genesis story. What's the story of Luca? Where did you where were you born? Where where did you come from? <laughs>
1: Those uh sure. I'd love to do that. I, I need to, I want to ask you how you are before we, before I share that though, because, okay, and yep. I do you know to be honest, like, Raúl, like starting with a check-in is something I do with most of my calls now. It's like, how, how are you coping? Like, what's your primary emotions right now? What are the secondary emotions? So, mm-hmm. you know, you're in it right now. You're kind of dealing with a lot more than I am just over the border. Mm-hmm. So how are you going? Yeah. Uh, Thanks for asking. Like, it's like, I won't lie. It's, it has been tough. Uh,
0: But I think to your point, I am one of the lucky ones that, um,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I have a roof over my head. I live with, you know, really cool people Uh, kind of the place where I live is kind of big enough where we are not in each other's way. Um, So, I am starting to feel the the cabin fever, but um, I'm doing okay. And and I think also when I do get distressed, I I just try to be grateful for the place that I am and just think about, you know, um, there are a lot of people who are doing, you know, a lot worse than I am. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that's fair. Well, I'm wishing you well, mate. I mean, in some ways it's interesting to reflect on this and just the sheer amount of uncertainty that we're all dealing with in the world. And I, I suppose that's probably a good place for me to reflect on like, how did I get here? Cause um, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of uncertainty to be honest. You know, I didn't really have, I, you know, there was a time in my life where I'd set goals and I'd be like, cool, I'm going to set a goal. It's going to be for 12 months. or this is my life goal, or you know, et cetera. But I've moved away quite a lot from that to the idea of, where where do i feel most alive what are the Mm. ideas the spaces the activities that that kind of bring a bit of a sparkle to my Mm. eye right and so um that's that's kind of led me to have this be having this conversation with you right now right and um Mm. you know i i am back in my home state of south australia i grew up here um and then immediately after high school i went and lived in europe for a year and a half and You know, what I learned in that rite of passage kind of 18 month journey was kind of three things. Firstly, I didn't know very much about the world. You know, Mm -hmm. I was constantly like, felt a bit out of my depth. Like couldn't, couldn't only spoke English. I didn't know what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, secondly was the role of my ancestry. You know, my, both my parents are from Europe. My mum from Northern Mm -hmm. Greece, my dad from Wales. And oh, wow. so I was amazing. connecting a bit with my, and, you know, with my ancestry and my kind of history and delving into that and the stories of the people that kind of traveled to Australia in the sixties as migrants, right? To start a life. So that was the second thing. And the third thing was that, you know, when I met people and I looked around and traveled around different communities and cities and across cultures, um, it was the role that, you know, capabilities and learning, played in the success of that, that person, young or old, you know, like how, what was the quality of education they had received, but also what was their approach towards learning? Like, how did they see learning? What was their ability to fail? And, and by and large, I saw, you know, people that had more capabilities, really being able to thrive and create opportunities and become entrepreneurs or be able to contribute in interesting ways. And and sadly, other parts that just were not other parts of the world and other people that weren't set up to do that as well. Right. So I came back to Australia and changed out of commerce into education. um, Mm -hmm. Because I didn't want to sell a product that I didn't think was making the world a better product. You know, you can do that through commerce now, but at that time I didn't think it was possible. I was like, Mm -hmm. well, you know, big business is bad and I'm going to go and do something different. I'm going to work at the mm. community level and become a teacher. And so mm. I enrolled in a Bachelor of Arts, Bachelor of Education.
0: Cool. Can I ask, uh, what, what made you choose commerce as, as
1: a young person? Do you know what it was? In all honesty, uh, it was living in Dublin, in North County, Dublin, um, playing Gaelic football with some really wonderful you know, friends that I made, You know, young, young men like myself, um, but also just realizing you know, I became quite capitalist. I think at that point, I was like, I'm going to be wealthy. Like that mm-hmm. became a bit of my drive. I'm, like, I'm going to win at the game, the wealth game, right. I'm going mm-hmm. to like be a real estate agent it was actually, I started to conceive of myself as that. And that's a bit bizarre because, you know, I'd like, I loved the sciences and maths, but I also loved the humanities and the arts. You know, I was kind of mm-hmm. quite expressive and generalist in my, at secondary school in particular. And so mm-hmm. the idea of starting to see that as success, I mean, I was curious about that world, but, um, it wouldn't have suited me at all. Like, and so going yeah. into an arts degree, just I just really, I've become so passionate about learning about my own history, but also the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of what, what can I learn from other cultures? How can I understand, you know, and therefore expand as mm-hmm. my identity as an Australian? Because, you know, in t- traveling overseas quite a lot as someone that grew up in, in Adelaide, the beautiful city mm. that is Adelaide. <laughs> um, you know, I, I was saying I'm an Australian, I'm an Aussie, but I also realized I hadn't had much, it, in fact, any real meaningful engagement with first Australian, first Australians, mm. either as people <clears throat> or as the knowledge systems, um, you know, the true history of this land. So so that, that came, became really present to me as well. So yeah, I launched into kind of education arts, thinking I'm gonna be a teacher, I wanna be an inspiring teacher, Mm -hmm. I want to learn about like the country, like Australia, that's my home. Um, But I also want to try to inspire others with learning. Um, Now I say that now at the time, I was probably like, oh, it seems like a good idea. Like I probably (laughs) didn't have that clarity, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's where it all started for me in terms of this kind of learning journey that I've been on. Okay. um, So we are going to, I suppose, bounce around
0: uh, a bit with this conversation, but Maybe what I'd love to explore is, say, your formative years. Maybe say from um, zero to twelve. What was what was Luca Parry like as a kid? Were you the, the interests you're talking about now? Did they in some Did they in some way tie into things you were keen on as a kid, or like it in that age?
1: What I would say is. Uh... First, that was a long time ago. (laughs) Second, um, feels like a long time ago, particularly because it's the longest year of my life, like all of our lives, right? Um, But I was absolutely enabled, right, by by my parents and by people around Mm. me. I mean, my grandparents in particular, I never met my my grandfather, um, but my uh, Yat and Papu from my mum's side, like my grandparents, and also my grandmother from my dad's side, they all saw education is incredibly important. So mm-hmm. I just remember being reinforced that, you know, learning matters and mm-hmm. it's important for you to master the different components of it, right? So, I mean, I think back I was super competitive, but I was also, you know, quite in pas- I was passionate, I was musical and kind of, mm-hmm. I did, I remember doing contemporary dance as a, as a young, um, as a young boy and, you know, kind of lots of movement. And again, that was just enabled by my mum, who's an educator, who's a teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my dad who's a psychiatrist. Right. So it's funny. I've over, over the journey, I've become more and more interested in like the brain and mm. the human processes of learning and psychology. Right. So, and I don't think that's an accident. I think that's kind of the influence that they've had on my development to date. So I was pretty generalist. And I think what that mm. what I'd say about that period is that it really set a foundation from which I've continued to build, right. You know, domain, knowledge in particular areas or industries or disciplines but but more importantly i think actually the transdisciplinary skills you know how do you transfer knowledge for example near and far transfer like how do you communicate how do you think critically um how do you do how do you do self regulation or self knowledge right mm-hmm. who am i really like those are the really big questions um and yeah. i think i was a bit of a philosophical kid to be fair i was probably a bit of an oddball <laughs> people <were> as well, <laughs> you know, I was kind of looking up in the clouds but I was always quite lost in thought. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that continues. Like I'm pretty philosophical about the way I live my life and try to contribute to, you know, other human beings around me mm. um, and the communities that I'm lucky to be a part of. And
0: were you, were you a good student
1: in school? I, was an okay student at primary school and a better student at high school. Like at primary school, I was kind of a bit distracted, you know, like, and I think, in, honestly, it's because I was thinking about,
0: good,
1: you know? yeah. absolutely, I was a philosophical <laughs> kid, just kind of like looking out the window. And so as, as we'd say in education now, right? Like all, all young people want to learn, they just might not want to learn what you're currently focusing on, right? What you're kind of trying to teach. So um, I, you know, one interesting thing, Rahul, and this is something I've just realized later in life is I remember having, um, I had like, I was terrible at handwriting and spelling. Like I was Mm -hmm. quite bad at it. So I, um, I had this, I was quite, what's interesting now is like languages and applied linguistics have become such a huge focus of my life, right? How to communicate well, um, how to understand cross-cultural communication and global citizenship. So I actually, with perhaps my slightly expanded wisdom in my 30s now, think back on that time and some of the pathology about feeling hopeless or not capable. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I had a lisp, for example, at primary school. Um, Yeah, so I had a lisp and I couldn't say my R's either. So it's, yeah, I just remember those. I went to a speech pathologist, I think not that often, but I reckon for... I don't know maybe three months or something on and off and that mm-hmm. was just i had to practice seven slippery snakes slither slowly southwards right or run rabbit run and you know so having that i think just kind of put something into me into my identity that has really driven me to want to master the realms of language um and yep. of course that's a never-ending path
0: mm-hmm.
1: um but of course now as you know I. I speak a bunch of languages and i learning more always. Yeah. You know, what's the, what's, um,
0: what's the tally up to now? Is it six?
1: Yeah, it's five. six. It depends on how you define a language because young Jada and pigeon are dialects linguistically, but potentially culturally, mm-hmm. they might be considered separate languages. So, um, I'd say five to be safe, right. But, um, yep. French has been the focus for the last year. Um, but yeah, wow. anyway, that's, so, so that's when that I think back go. to those yeah. times, definitely, like I was enabled by some, some great teachers and, and big, like, I would say mentors in my life, like my grandparents and my parents, mm-hmm. that learning. Can, can you, you to, speak to
0: that? To can, sorry to, to interrupt, but uh, I've heard in other conversations, I think, especially your um, maternal grandfather come up. Could, could you, could you speak to that relationship?
1: Yeah, Papukos Masashoti, right? So, and what's funny, um, well, my, my name is Luca, and so I've been slowly reclaiming that over time, right? Because I used to say it's Luca, um, mm-hmm. kind of because that's easier to say for native English speakers in particular. But I've been kind of reclaiming Luca because it's a Greek name. And it's spelled in the Greek way. But my middle name is Masa Masashotis, right? Which is super ethnic, right? And I embrace that. Wow. And my last yeah. name is Parry, which is very like a super Welsh name, right? But you know, <laughs> my papa's name was, um, you know, we used to play a game when I was a kid and he would say, Luka, which, you know, was probably the only Greek I knew, which is like, Luca, what's your name? And I'd say, Luca, Kosma, Hashotis, Parry. And his name was called Masashotis. So it, it like, he would be like, Bravo, bravo, You know, and he got really mm. proud. Of the fact that I just said my name, you know, it's kind of this way of connecting with him, but his, you know, he was a migrant and his English. He came as an adult to Australia um, with my mum as a child. Mm-hmm. So his English wasn't great. And my Greek was non-existent. And I didn't even kind of conceive of the, the kind of opportunity at that point in my life to mm-hmm. learn that ancestral tongue. I, mm-hmm just thought of myself as like an an Aussie boy that, you know, why would I speak anything else besides English? English gets you around, you know? And so it was only when he died and I was 16 years old when he died, um, that I kind of, as much as a young man can, like a teenager thought, ah, I've really, I've missed a really significant opportunity to learn something about who I am because Mm -hmm. of, you know, his story and, Mm-hmm. you know, the person that he was, what he's done in his life and what he knows. And so after that, I became really curious. In fact, and this was before I went overseas um, to Europe to live. So I became really curious at that point about my own ancestry. Like mm-hmm. started, started a family tree, started to teach myself modern Greek from a book, which was called learn modern Greek in three months or something like that, which is it was false advertising by the way but anyway um you know so that that's kind of where it all started for me and and i became more and more curious and i'd say well it actually is true if you if you do the values in action strength survey like curiosity is my signature strength i'm deeply Mm -hmm. curious about the world um i ask lots of questions i want to connect people to each other ideas to each other um i can definitely service some kind Mm -hmm. of Yeah, well, some kind of positive contribution. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, it's a curse as well as a gift, right? Um, Mm. Because it means that there's never we will never get to the end of that learning path, Mm. but that's okay because we never arrive anywhere anyway. This is kind Mm. of like consciousness is an emergent phenomenon. You know, like the whole idea is once I get to that place, then things will be. It doesn't. I don't think that's the way. The interim is the is the default. Right. So, yep, yep. um, again, a bit philosophical, but you know, I kind of, I, I do believe that. Right. So yeah. you know, my mantra that you would kind of, I think see lived out is you know, live as if you were to die tomorrow, learn as if you were to live forever. And mm-hmm. that's, that's the Mahatma Gandhi quote that yes. I had stuck on my door for many years at uni. And mm. so lots of travel, lots of learning. And that's why, education to me in hindsight just makes such obvious sense. But even at the time I could realize, you know, I want to be in an organization or in a, in an industry where learning is the mm-hmm. primary activity because mm-hmm. learning can be expansive. It can be empowering. And in my view, it doesn't just change, you know, the world generally. Mm-hmm. Um, it can also change your world, right? Yeah. Because it's the way that you see the world, the way that you show up, how you make other people feel, how you feel about yourself, your self-construct, you know, the self-delusion, right? Like, you know, how am I actually part of a community? Um, All of that, I think, is the process of learning in some way. And that can be enabled uh, or disabled by some of the people around us, I think.
0: Absolutely. So so just going back to, I suppose, your change of decision from, you know, a monocle-wearing capitalist, to uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and a pocket watch, <laughs> <laughs> and a pocket watch, yeah. and a top hat, yeah. uh, and uh, and the cigar. Don't forget the cigar. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> to Monocly- someone who man. really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, someone who wants to, um, not to sound too idealistic, but but you did have this switch of okay, I, I want to make, I want to be successful in terms of what others might see as success to something intrinsic yeah going um, this question so so was that transition somehow tied to your travels or tied to your grandfather's passing away or what 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 triggered that um, change of mindset
1: uh, you know things make sense looking backwards but they don't often make sense looking forwards and and all of us today we will be different people tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. Like physio- biolo- Biologically, right? Like with ours, but, it, but in in many different ways. Um, you know, our brains are changing because of this conversation, for example. So, mm-hmm. I, but if I wonder about who I was back then, I did start to realize, and I had done this through my formal schooling as well, right? Which is, well, you know what? I'm kind of best at the things that I like the most. Like my passions mm-hmm. kind of are driving my performance here. Because if I don't know something, well, I can use that intrinsic motivation to learn it, right? Or the extrinsic motivation of, be it something like, you know, peer recognition, for example, right? It's mm-hmm. Extrinsic motivations still work, but they're not, they're not the goal in themselves, right? Um, mm-hmm. Even though we still, you know, many organizations still think of them as the levers, they're not, right? It's actually how do we create organizational cultures um, with the right type of elements to enable really extraordinary contributions to be made. So I think, you know, it was, it was having a sense of, well, actually. And again, I would quote Alan Watts, who's a British philosopher and he, mm-hmm. and he brought a lot of kind of Zen thinking to the West. Um, but the idea is if you, if you had a million dollars and you'd never had to work, like, what would you do? And mm-hmm. for me, it would kind of be involved in learning, right? Like, yep. and so this partially like a whole sense around work. Um, we need to reimagine I think what work is, you know, how for the, those lucky few of us, and it sh, the point is it shouldn't be the lucky few you now, how might yeah. we design societies and economies where there isn't kind of where some people are enjoying how they contribute to the economy and to society and other people are not right. So mm-hmm. and I, we're a long way from where we might need to be with that. So I don't know, mate, I just, to be honest, I, I, I could try to say something profound, but at the time it was like, well, I'm interested in learning languages, mm-hmm. so I learned Spanish and Modern Greek, and I started from uh, literally like beginner Spanish, like "Hola, Buenos días, adelante," you mm-hmm. no, "Levántense, mm-hmm. siéntense," stand up, sit down, etc. And the same with Greek, you know, like "Vamos like Greek, a la playa,"
0: ladder.
1: "Vamos a la playa," oh, oh, oh exactly, <laughs> right, hundred percent. And of course, yeah. and I, tra- but I became so obsessed by learning about the world that I would, I'd work during uni as many people do. And then I would travel whenever yeah. I had the chance. And so I, as a young man, I was exploring places. I live, I went to Chile on exchange um, in my third year at Flinders university and went over there and studied at UTAL, you know, which is the university, La Universidad de Talca, which is like a regional university. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: And there was me and a, and a friend, we probably the only two Australians in this entire town right? And probably only a handful of 50 foreigners in the whole town. So, you know, but living on that cultural and linguistic interface was just fascinating because you're constantly Mm -hmm. failing. Like, and and now as a, well, to be, I was becoming a languages teacher ultimately, you know, but learning a language as an adult is one of the best ways that you can engage in productive struggle and also overcome that sense of shame Mm -hmm. for failing publicly and embarrassingly over and over and over again, because that, that capacity, right, to cycle and to reflect on learning, Mm -hmm. um,
0: I, I think something reflecting on what language does, it also builds like real connection and maybe reflecting on something you said earlier with your granddad is that you didn't feel that you didn't feel that that was hundred percent because you couldn't speak his native native language.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's kind of, there's unconditional love, right? I certainly felt that. Mm -hmm. And he was proud of me just for being his grandson. You know, I didn't have to do anything Mm -hmm. else. I just had to turn up and I was heralded, you know, not least of all because, you know, they had two, uh, they had two girls. So my mum and my auntie, so I was the first son. And of course the patriarchal, kind of part still endured at that time anyway. Um, But there was something about just not being able to ask him questions about his Mm -hmm. journey, right? And like really tap into his stories that, you know, like learning from elders and like, and if if I've learned anything at all from working alongside and and, uh, indigenous cultures in Australia, Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander peoples, it has been the role of wisdom in a society. Mm -hmm. And we get this terribly wrong by and large, yep. in places like mm-hmm. Australia, because we create aged care homes, right? And we kind of, like, mm-hmm. is, that, is that the path that you and I will eventually end up in? Well, who knows? But, you know, and this actually is quite pertinent right now. It's pretty acute, knowing that mm-hmm. with COVID, like, that is literally, it's like our elders that are targeted here. Like, people mm-hmm. like you and I are less likely, um, although mm-hmm. not impossible, to be seriously, seriously impacted. You know, it's, it's kind of quite an ageist... Impact. So that idea of learning from my elders, I really—if I had my time over—I would have gone to Greek school as a little kid, mm-hmm. right? And I would have yep. just be, just like delved into that, really embraced my identity as like a Greek Welsh mm-hmm. Australian, um, yep. as I, opposed. But you know,
0: yeah, I suppose that's the uh, that's the deficit in that we're learning for vocation rather than learning for wisdom. And there's, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is Alan Watts who said that. I'm really going to butcher this, but it's about, <laughs> we go to school to get into university. Then we do university to get into a job. Yeah. We're just looking one step ahead of us
1: at all times. Yeah. Was that Alan Watts? Anyway. It was indeed Alan Watts. And so this idea that, you know, you just constantly go. And then, you know, when you get to college, you go to graduate school and then you get an internship and then you get to work. And, and so that's the point of like, kind of being too future, like perspective focused which is Mm. if you're not careful you're so busy planning your life you never live your life and so this is the idea of presence over productivity which i think is a really interesting insight you know if we think about the best leaders the best social change agents the people that we have have influenced all of us right be they our educators our family our business leaders mentors you know our own students you know if we happen to be the educator you know the people that have really influenced us, they have this presence. It's not just about what they think and what they say. It's about who they are and how they show up. And that's the insight from Alan Watts is, you know, how do we be completely present in the here and now? And instead of thinking of of it as work, realize that it is play. Like that is, that's my favorite quote of his, to be fair. yeah. You know, how can we create playful environments? And, you know, knowing that we've got, Moore's law and the law of accelerating returns and converging exponential mm-hmm. technologies over here on one side, the question is what are the social technologies that can enable us to increase our consciousness mm-hmm. so that we can create societies through systems, mm-hmm. right? Cause that's how societies function and system is like an education system, a school, a business, a startup, yep. a government department, etc. right? How do we mm-hmm. just create these environments where people can show up as their whole selves, they can mm-hmm. be culturally safe. And there's a big, A lot of work happening around the world right now on that, right? Like Aboriginal lives matter, black lives matter. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's literally trying to tear down and we need to tear down racist structures that it's not just don't serve us anymore. They deliberately, you know, marginalize particular parts of our societies. And until we can create spaces where people can turn up and be their whole selves, we're not Mm going to be able to really enable true human flourishing. The good news is that we have Lots of examples around the world of how to do this well, and you know, they can at a national level. We can look at particular parts of the world that do equity far better than we do from an educational lens, an employment lens. It's, anyway, I'm just going to start to rant. If you're not careful, yeah. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> so you better so pull so me maybe, back. But, maybe,
0: yeah, I love these rants, but but I think before <laughs> we get into that, what I you mentioned you spent time was it at a uh, at an Aboriginal
1: uh, site? Yeah, that's or was right. it, Uh, uh, Yep. It was an Aboriginal community. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so I I did my Bachelor of Arts, Bachelor of Education with a diploma in language alongside that. And then I did a certificate in teaching English as a second or other language again, you know, by this time I was like learning is I'm loving this learning. Right. And no one really likes writing essays at two o'clock in the morning, but it was actually just the social process of constructing learning um, in my own brain and doing that with other people. And so, you know, I really started to understand that. So then of course I actually had to work. And I was like, okay, well, where am I going to work as a teacher? <laughs> and I, I had a bit of a choice, you know, like there was a couple of jobs I was looking at, you know, quite in Adelaide. Um, cause that's where I was. Sorry, sorry, before. just
0: before you go on. Um, so this was, so you finished your teaching degree and this was your first
1: assignment. This is at the end of my teaching degree. Exactly. Okay, right. Yeah, so yeah. I traveled and stuff. So, but of course, you know, I'd done some practice teaching in different places, different schools, big, small metropolitan and and rural and remote. Uh, but I ended up deciding to rather than take the job in the city, take the job in the country. And I was lucky that I had a choice. Um, but I, instead of, as I often say, instead of going 15 minutes down the road for work, I went 15 hours down the road. So still in South Australia, but only just on the border of the Northern mm-hmm. Territory, Western Australia and South Australia is mm-hmm. part of this country called the Arnangu Pichinjada Yankunjada lands, right? The APY lands for short. And it's, it's a freehold title, um, that is held by the landowners, the traditional owners. And so to travel there, you need a permit. There's a number of communities. There's I think nine in the APY. There's two others along, you know, near the, the Southern coast near Sejuna Oak Valley and, um, and Yalata, but anyway, I found myself in this small community uh, as a teacher, learn like, wow. kind of trying to do the job that I was learning how to do, and um, I was successful in some ways, and I was a complete failure in others. Right? So, you know, because any any transition, and even there's some really great preparation courses, and there's ones that aren't as great, but for any teacher going into like your first year, everyone will say it is a it's a really difficult year because you're just accelerating through you're trying to juggle the complex dynamic environment that is having, you know, 25 kids or 25 young people in a room and trying to meet every single need that every single one of those individuals has as well as the group's needs. Right. So it's, it is just complex dynamic work and educators are just wonderful people. Right. So, but I, I spent, I remember when I first turned up, um, one of the, one of the young people said, Hey, uh, when you're leaving? Of course, it's like, I just got here. What are you talking about? Don't you want me here? But, you know, and uh, I mean, it's if for anyone that's worked in a remote community or even a regional community, you know, it's, it's a really powerful question because the subtext to that, the context actually around that question is, are you going to stick around and make an investment in this community and in my mm-hmm. learning? Um, and, I mean, it took me a while to figure that out, but I eventually did. I thought, okay, I kind of understand that because turnover in some of these parts of Australia is quite high. Uh, for a range of different reasons. Um, I, in, in any case, my answer was, I don't know, two years, maybe. We'll see how we go, maybe. right? And uh, then my plan was to go overseas and do more you know, interesting travel or something. But I found myself really compelled by kind of the challenges that existed, um, but also the learning that I was trying to deliver and design as an educator, um, but also, the, more importantly, the learning that I was doing as a human being, mm. right? Um, I said before that I hadn't had much, I had very little awareness of like first nations. Um, and Australia has a, has an incredibly rich history, a a rich human history Mm -hmm. that we still have not come to terms with still have Mm -hmm. not properly recognized. Um, and, and you know, the idea is like, it's not about tolerance. It's about sense of value, you know? So how do we weave that human tapestry in Australia? So. I learned a lot about privilege as well right as a white educated guy turning up in this community um i only got a glimpse right and i was still empowered at the time because it was in australia but you know like what might it feel like to be a minority in communities Mm -hmm. like all the time you know be that playing football as you know one of the only white players in the whole league and Mm -hmm. being uh, being kind of singled out because of that or Mm -hmm. standing in a group and not understanding you know, not, not, even, not the cultural nuance, literally just the language that's been spoken around me. So mm-hmm. I traveled significantly when I got there. So of course I did my best to be the kind of active learner, um, and to be culturally sensitive, um, and realize mm-hmm. that I, I was only ever a visitor in that place. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, mm-hmm. I learned so much about the art, science and craft of learning and teaching. Mm-hmm but also about, I think, social change and Mm -hmm. human dynamics and leadership. I mean, I became the school principal after four years, which wasn't the plan either, mate. It just happened. Um, I mean, I applied for it, but uh, it wasn't a goal that I'd set. It was just, well, Mm -hmm. great. Maybe this is a way that I could contribute. Um, And I Mm -hmm. learned a lot about leadership as a community principal of a birth to year 12 site, right? Um, But you know, if I had to summarize that, that piece, like from an educational perspective, you know, the idea that we think of, we, we create these reductionist mental models all the time, right? You're teaching Mm. year four now, now you're teaching year five, right? Or that's early years or, okay, they're they're now 17. We can take them off of our school role if they're not attending. Mm. You know, what I realized was actually we, and I learned this from, you know, (laughs) being the kind of pretty naive initially young man going out there, but the indigenous knowledge systems, um, at least in what I've understand so far, don't separate those things. Why would you? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. life is not compartmentalized. You know, we don't do maths now and then science later. No, no, you live, you have a lived experience of development and of life. Mm -hmm. And you can look at kind of inma or chukurpa, you know, traditional dreaming and story and culture that's embedded in land. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was, that. I learned a lot about that. So the idea is, you know, rather than doing kindergarten to year 12, maybe we could think about this as, you know, pre-birth to pathway rather than Mm -hmm. saying how can you be a good student maybe it's about asking the question how might i be a a good ancestor like that's a that's a powerful question you know when you think about deep time for example which is a concept i'm still learning about you know Mm -hmm. really deep time i mean we can't even conceptualize you know Mm sixty thousand years you know even in in the last 300 years Mm -hmm. um we've had you know, 12 generations, that's over 4,000 individuals that have contributed genetically to who we are, mm. right, in mm. 300 years. So let's take that out to 60,000. I could say it's a really significant yeah. time period. And so, you know, we, the idea of being present as well was another really mm. interesting insight. Present time perspective, yeah. um, which for, you know, the cyclical rotational people um, mm. of that part of Australia, the Anangu is you know, being able to be present as mm-hmm. opposed to planning continually for the future. So getting lost in those goals. Right. And so mm-hmm. anyway, so, so a lot, you, of, you, lot of interesting concepts. Yeah. But
0: okay. So you've gone on to be a real innovator in education. And I, I definitely do want to touch on, you know, you being principal at such such a young age, but going back to something you mentioned earlier about systems and, you know, being more empathetic and being more inclusive. And that's how we create schools and better businesses and so on. Uh, Like there's a quote from Mark Twain and he said, uh, I never let schooling get in, get in the way of my education. Uh Yeah.
1: Um,
0: That, you know, it might seem a bit cynical, but what's your response to that?
1: Well, the good thing about the genius writing of Mark Twain is that, you know, he gets he gets a lot of credit for a lot of things he didn't say. He did say that, yeah, true as I'm aware, right? But, yeah. but I've never yeah. let schooling interfere with my education. But I mean, sure. But I, the the way I'd answer it is think about, um, like, where did school come from? Like, mm-hmm. what what was the construct that helped generate that structure and that system? You know, and it was the industrial revolution, right? The Prussian yeah. army were part of it. In exchangeable parts. Um, you know, factory. there's a lot of interesting work, right? Yeah. The fact, yeah, sure. Yeah. The factory model of education and, you know, Sir Ken Robinson only recently died and he was one of the best mm-hmm. communicators about this. Um, the challenge I have with that is that as an educator myself, right. When you're working in a school, you're not trying to school kids, you're trying to educate them, mm-hmm. you know? So the problem with all of these generic statements is it's like, it just disempowers the human beings in the systems
0: which is ah
1: oh, cool. So therefore school doesn't matter. So don't worry about school. Mm. You know, it's this tension that we have between trying to al- allow for the emergence of something new, whilst also saying what works, what what currently is happening is not working. And most, yep. you know, well, every single teacher that you speak to will say, of course the schooling model isn't working for everybody. Like it's obvious. Mm. But the question mm. is like, well, how, where do we go from here? Right? Because schooling is still a structure that is imposed in some ways. It's not a lib. It's not, liberationary by design, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's routine. It's rigid. That's schooling. So how do we go from schooling to education? And then ultimately, how do we go from education to learning? Because, you know, the communities I lived alongside and taught in, you know, those early days, they weren't schooling their young people. They were involved in deep, you know, deeply held transmission and sharing Mm -hmm. of knowledge and wisdom. Right. Really different. And, you know, that was just so obvious to me, you know, the young people that that I was trying to teach in class, in some ways, schooling in class, you know, sometimes it was difficult. The behavior challenges take them into a different context. Everything changed. They were leaders, right? Mm -hmm. They were really successful at some of the other types of learning. So, you know, I learned a lot from some, some great thinking Tyson Younger Porter, for example, talking about eight way, eight Aboriginal pedagogies, you know, things that actually we should pay attention to because to assume that we're all the same, isn't just dangerous. It's kind of unimaginative. You know, like if you think about your friends or your siblings, like everyone is pretty unique and has a different set of, you know, character strengths and and skills Mm. sets and potentially knowledge sets. So that's what I'd say to Marky Mark, if he were around I'd say, cool, that's, that's awesome, mate. But you know what, what would be your suggestion for how we mm-hmm. shift that? And I think, you know, mm-hmm. this is what I this is my day job, basically, is yep. how might we empower the human beings in these systems to become learning ecosystems, right, to use that language, mm-hmm. to become places where there is the connection between what you learn in one place and you can take that with you, as opposed to kind mm-hmm. of leaving all of this human potential untapped. I mean, school, school old traditional schools, right, which still exist in some places, they are just, they are perfect at not tapping into the knowledge of young people or Mm. frankly, the adults working in that structure, but you know, really innovative, creative, emergent cultures in other Mm. types of organizations that may or may not be a school are incredibly good at drawing that out, at lighting the fire of passion led learning, you know, Mm. focusing on character and capabilities as well as knowledge. You know, and really it, it comes down to, and when I think about this, you should just go and ask any organization, you know, what's success to you. And we can do this in the corporate space as well. You know, what's success to you? Is it, is it profit motive solely? Is it being an enduring brand? Is it being a 100 year company and changing an industry? Um, mm-hmm. Is it creating young people that actually have the capacity to continue to unlearn and relearn throughout their life? Mm-hmm. You know, the work that we do at the learning future is all about this piece. You know, there schooling now is just the first step on an ever (laughs) on a staircase that never ends until we literally drop Mm -hmm. off the staircase you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) from an existential perspective individually or collectively depending on our decisions Mm -hmm. that we make over the coming decades right but so the idea of learning is just the default now and the world Mm -hmm. economic forum talks about that institute for the future talks about that the oecd talks about that so Mm -hmm. you know how do we kind of redesign that redesign school so that the most powerful and deep learning is taking place. Yeah. Um, and there's lots suppose, of really good people doing it.
0: Yeah. Maybe that's what I was getting at with that question is, is about the redesign. But, but before we get to that, you mentioned that after your experience with the, with the remote community, it really, I suppose, made you a better teacher, but it made you a better leader. And then you were, School principal at was it
1: twenty seventh? Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
0: yeah. Could you could you explain how the, how how the hell that happened? <laughs>
1: uh, well, I to be honest, it's I had a fantastic principal when I arrived, Christine Bell, and she was so brilliant at creating space for me to expand and mm-hmm. to learn capabilities and be you know to become better communicated, to be more organized, you know, some of the basic skills, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I owe a lot to her and a lot to the other influences that I've had in my life yep. um, to do that. Um, but, you know, after a few years, you know, remember curiosity is my biggest strength. So that curiosity mm-hmm. didn't, didn't often get me in trouble, but it certainly enabled me to connect deeply with the community and all the different members of the community. So when it became clear that um, that role was going to be vacant, um, a lot of people were pretty keen that I apply and I was like, well, sure, why not? And yeah. so that's how that happened. I mean, mm-hmm. I only was in that role for a year and a half um, okay. because it got to the point where it was five and five and a half years. And I thought I was a bit burnt out, frankly, like mm-hmm. I was working really hard. Um, and you know, the challenge set out there can be, can be significant at times, particularly as, as a leader. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was flying to Melbourne doing my master's study I'd already, I had done an applied linguistics masters, you know, whilst I was a teacher there as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I, so when I left, um, I took a break and I wasn't sure if I was going to go back. And in the end, I ended up doing some policy work, which was really interesting, mm-hmm. but it was too disconnected from the field for me at that point in my career. You know, I wanted mm-hmm. to kind of support schools more directly. So that's when I ended up moving to Melbourne and I spent mm-hmm. four years working for a teacher training company over there, which is probably where we first met um, through some of the communities over there in Melbourne. Um, And that was a phenomenal journey as well. And that was the first time I started to realize, you know, to come full circle that actually business can be an incredible power, like can be really powerful to make social change. In fact, Mm -hmm. unless we have the conversation with business, we're not going to be able to restructure societies um, Absolutely. in a powerful Absolutely. way. And so the idea of, you know, the benefit corporation movement, the B Corp movement, you know, how mm-hmm. do you go from a single bottom line to a triple bottom line? How do you bake mm-hmm. in social and environmental impact alongside financials? Um, I became more and more interested in that. So what's funny is now as an entrepreneur, you know, mm-hmm. um, all that commerce stuff is helpful, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, like, but I often, I always say I'm, I'm an educator first and an entrepreneur second and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that, can adjust just, that, yeah,
0: yeah, just want to ask you about, say, when you when you got the job as principal at twenty seven, like that's a pretty significant achievement for a young person. It's akin to you know being partner of a firm or what have you. Um, what did that do for your sense of success? Did you feel successful, or did you feel maybe? despondent in that, you know, where do I go from here or what was going through your mind when you,
1: when that happened? Well, do you know, when you, when you, when you apply for something and you're kind of, you're almost more scared of getting it than not getting it.
0: Yeah. That was kind (laughs) of
1: that experience for me. You know, I was, I wasn't, you know, uh, who, who is ever truly prepared, but, you know, I remember going through the process and writing an application and, um, uh, and kind of really thinking deeply about you know, what might be the contribution that I could make and like leveraging my own skill sets, which at that point was the idea of, you know, community engagement. Um, Mm -hmm. some, some interesting ideas about innovation, like, because that school in that place at worst was a Western institution that was kind of a bit irrelevant. And at best Mm -hmm. it was a community school that was co-owned and co-authored by the community themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that was a journey that I'd been on as the enthusiastic young teacher thinking I had to do everything um, and that it was up to me and I wanted to make positive change. I realized that you can't make positive change. It's like you can't teach anybody anything. This is my fundamental belief. Um, All you can do is create an experience in which somebody learns. So, and that's a really subtle difference. But the idea is like, I can just transmit my knowledge to you. I can, I can use direct instruction or explicit instruction. I could be very clear about these are the things. But you always have to pay attention to the context because if you don't feel safe at that moment, neurologically, you're, you're not going to remember any of it. Your amygdala will be activated. You'll be in fight, flight, freeze. Your prefrontal cortex literally switches off. So, you know, there's no memory kind of being activated, no executive mm. function, you know, so that's kind of, that's what I realize is the like the role of the ecology or the ecosystem or the environment. You know, mm-hmm. how do people feel? And I became more and more interested in well-being alongside learning achievement. You know, and what, what I think I've I also realized was the way we had structured things was a lot about learning achievement and not very much about well-being. And I don't mean welfare, because welfare mm-hmm. is, is a deficit model, right? Yep. Um, what I mean is well-being. How do we take everybody what, at whatever stage they might be at in terms of biopsychosocial spiritual health, right? The mm-hmm. multidimensional model of health or the lifestyle medicine view. And how do we move them f- more like more forward into thriving states, into places where they feel really enlivened, passionate, like they're contributing, like they're part of something meaningful. So um,
0: it's kind of your, it's like you're inhabiting both your parents' world in that your dad being the psychologist and your mom being the educator. Well,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, look, it's true. And Alain de Botton, who's a mm. fantastic author. And um, I've, I've gone to a bunch of his things and met him a couple of times. He, he does talk a lot about, not just like genetic inheritance, but emotional inheritance. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder a little bit about, you know, how much like empathic inheritance might we get, you know, like what, what Mm -hmm. themes do we empathize with or do we, are we more interested in, you know, like by the time you spend thousands and thousands of hours with your parents, you Mm -hmm. definitely are reflecting some of the things that they've (laughs) gifted you, you know, good and bad for everybody, you know, but Mm. that's the good enough parent. But, um, Yeah, that's, that's literally kind of, I just became more and more interested in that. I'm more and more interested in like, what is the intersections between all these different things? Like the fact that we're doing English lessons for 90 minutes is fine, Mm -hmm. but where's the intersection between cultural safety and first language education and Mm -hmm. the idea of social and emotional education or the idea of literally like sleep and lifestyle factors, sleep, diet, exercise, you know, the vitality Mm -hmm. pyramid or vitality triangle, you know, how do we understand these? How do we understand things in a more holistic way, so that we can better, better serve the community that we we're trying to serve. And I mean that as both, you know, and non unangual, you know, adults that were working in the school alongside each other. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of that was my big takeaway. So we wanted to go from the idea of here's a classroom where schooling is happening to here is a an environment where learning happens. And yep. Again, that might just sound like fancy language, but I I really think that's a shift. It's an important shift because the mental model changes. Then it's about what do you need right now as a learner. Um, you know, we created a well-being room, for example. We brought in um, trauma-informed practice, which was incredibly helpful. We tried to focus equally on well-being alongside learning achievement and learning progress, mm-hmm.
0: yep. because
1: the two were so intricately related, and we just mm-hmm. weren't paying attention enough. I think. Um, And this is a challenge for all of us right now. You know what I mean? In every school, in every organization, like these two things are so. If COVID's taught us anything, it's the interconnection that it has. You do not leave yourself at your office door, especially because if you're now working from home, or frankly living at work, which is the other way we can talk about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's um, (laughs) like our lives are they're dynamic. That everything is connected. How do we have this kind of holism view? as opposed to this reductionist segmented compartmentalized view, because that, that latter view is just leading us down a very dangerous path of, of increased inequality of environmental degradation of potential mm-hmm. ecological collapse, you know, of geopolitics that takes us in the wrong directions around, you know, so anyway, that's, I'm not, I'm not neutral on these positions. Clearly. I have views yeah. on them um, as an educator, Sure. but I also think, um, that's what, I, that's what I've learned so far. Mm-hmm. And I still will, you know, there's still a lot of learning to go, to be honest with you, mate. <laughs> but um, that's, uh, but, but I'm I suppose doing my best.
0: as so, uh, within your role as within uh, education change makers and now uh, what's the name of your company again? Life.
1: Uh, the Learning Future. The Learning
0: Future, sorry. From what I've spoken to you about, it really starts with uh, perhaps the, individual and helping that individual kind of bring their whole selves to what they're doing. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: And what that reminded me of was this TED talk by uh, David Brooks, who wrote this um, book called The Road to Character. He wrote The Social Animal and The Road to Character. But one of of the things he mentions is uh, how you should live for your eulogy and not your resume. Yeah. It's okay.
1: um, yeah. It's really okay. great, um It's a really great it's a really great sentiment. I actually mm. I've I don't know if you know this but I have I have my eulogy written, you know, and that's kind of it's actually oh, sitting wow. on my screen here, which is like the kind of manifesto of things that I'd like people to say about me. So that that and again, it's pretty um it's blending psychology and spirituality and all that kind of stuff, but mm. That's I'm trying to stay wedded to that success and I don't do that all that well sometimes, but um, for me, it's never been really about CV building. Um, Mm -hmm. It's kind of more about contribution. And the other, the only thing I would say as well about the idea of the individual is like, what is an individual? How does an individual exist without another, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I, and I'm reading this great book by Tom Collins called the self delusion and it is breathtakingly good. Right. But it's the whole idea of we have, we've kind of become obsessed with this idea of all of us as separate units, you know, in societies. And it's about fulfilling our hedonistic um, or Epicurean desires, right? And like, I, I'm all for like chasing happiness, except the point I would make is you can't actually attain happiness. It's why I'm more interested in meaning. Because it's kind of like, rather than looking for the meaning of life, maybe it's finding meaning in life. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's the idea. So how might we shift the conversation from your growth as an individual, your growth as a company, your growth as a school against these league tables to what's our growth together. And how do we go from self actualization to self transcendence you know, which is that to expand on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So, mm. um, I'm I'm really interested in that. And you know, Viktor Frankl talks all about this in one of my favorite books. I'm sure you've many people heard of it. You know, Man Search for Meaning. You know, how do we do? Kind of how do we find logos? You know, the actual meaning mm. in the things we do, because um, joy that- will ensue. Happiness will mm. ensue, but we can't pursue mm. it. It will be a exactly. byproduct. It will be a consequence of you know, mm-hmm. actually doing things for and with others mm-hmm. um, as opposed to doing them just for ourselves.
0: Well, th- that book is the real motivation behind this podcast. I don't, I don't know. Man's social meeting. Man's social I didn't know that. Yeah. It's great. It's great. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. made a huge
1: impact on my own life as well. So mm, same here. Yeah. Um,
0: and, and I think what I say love about your story is how you've taking these various elements, you know, starting with your childhood, starting with the connection you felt with your grandparents, to then, you know, learning wanting to be a teacher, to spending time with the remote community. And then you kind of really brought aspects of all of those elements into what you're doing now and really helping to, um, I suppose, change education, like change the way people are taught, change the way change the metrics as to how we define, um, you know, what makes a good student? W- would mm. that be right?
1: Well, you probably do me too much credit. Uh, what I, <laughs> my, my response would be, I can't change anything at all. All mm. I can do is create experiences where people decide to change something about mm-hmm. the way they show up in the world. And that's what great, that's what the great educators that I've been influenced, I have done, they create experiences, be they other lessons or talks or workshops, um, or rites of passage, you know, so, you know, I, it's, I'm so interested in this idea of presence, you know, how can you, how can you model being that learner for others? And if there is one thing I would give myself credit for, it's kind of being pretty, pretty public about modeling learning. Like I, I am just, I don't have it figured out. Right. I have mm. some interesting things that I'm kind of think might be helpful, right. Be at the learning future. Right. And that's the whole idea of we should visit the future often in education, because we are in the future's game. We're preparing mm. young people, not for the world cause they're in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're also empowering them to be able to walk their own learning path and their own learning journey. Um, but also just through some of the other interesting work, I mean, if we can use this moment in our history, to really centralize parts of our learning systems—not our schooling systems, but our learning systems—to mm-hmm. focus on the most human elements, right? Those things that make us creative, that mm-hmm. that spark us, you know, personalize, not standardize. For yep. example, and these are very hard things to do. And metrics do play a role. You know, it yeah. comes down to what is success, what is this, what is school for? You know, um, clearly, my view is that school is not just about economic empowerment. That is mm-hmm. a central component of it, but it's broader than that. It's about how do we set people up for life yep. um, by giving them the tools, the knowledge, the skills, and most importantly, the character, right? Ethics, mm-hmm. philosophy, mm-hmm. empathy, compassion, the things yep. that sometimes are in short supply, at least mm-hmm. if you if we follow the news too much, right? Uh, um, exactly.
0: And, and going back to our, our little rant on AI earlier, I think these are the things that would be that would be key as we go into the future that would be driven more and more by AI because AI will will soon do most of the rudimentary, you know, task, or not even, you know, rudimentary task, but it's soon gonna climb that ladder. Yeah. And we need to really, you know, go to a higher plane of what does it really
1: mean to be human. I, I- I completely agree, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. so my maybe my musing would be, maybe it isn't so much about going to a higher plane, it's just about rediscovering, it's about discovery mm-hmm. of who we are. It's actually coming sometimes like sitting down with a sense of deep time and deep listening, and working out we've had this all along. You know, mm-hmm. this is kind of like I think this is the antidote to the self, the cult of self improvement, which you know yep. I have been victim to you know and subscriber of and, uh, <laughs> quite a lot it's the same issue with like the, the cult of entrepreneurship right which is like the mm. hustle hustle is real and kind of hustle porn and all that kind of stuff right it's like you've got to go out and get it like it's kind of super mm. aggressive so i wonder if it's just a bit about discovery of like what is the true potential that we all have and how might we create environments where all of us and i really mean all of us can actually bring our strengths and our creativity, you know, to contribute extraordinary value in whichever way that Mm -hmm. means. I mean, that can be in a community sense, in a learning space, in a corporate sense, in in a startup space, you know, whatever it is. So, Mm. I don't know. I mean, that's the bit. And you know what, Roel, I don't think we ever arrive. I don't think we're ever going to get there. So, you know, it's the idea is, and I, I, I'm going to quote this without attribution because I can't recall who it was, but it's excellent. I think it might be George Benetrault, but, it's like, it's, it's nice to have an end to journey towards, but it's the journey that matters in the end. I really think that's a good way of thinking about it. It's like, yeah. how do we enjoy the ride? How do we be playful with this? And mm-hmm. not just do the serious work that needs to be done, but mm-hmm. also have levity, connection, you know, yeah. moments, of, moments of compassion, laughter, play. Like that's, that's who we are as a species. You know, to use Rutger Bregman's term, we're like more homo puppy than homo economicus, actually. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah. We're actually more about, you know, we're we need to be induced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, we need to be induced for violence um, mm-hmm. in psychological. And You know, it doesn't emerge naturally. The Lord of the Flies is fiction, mm-hmm. right? Because the true Lord of the Flies, we find ways to collectively uh, live together, to cooperate. You know, it's mm-hmm. actually, that's more. And so, you know, this is the point. We can... We can, choose, we can choose to ignore this or create incentive structures that move us in what I think is the wrong direction. Or we can actually say, you know, how do we be good ancestors? How do we create systems across society that actually mean it's a kinder, safer, greener, healthier place for all of us to live and learn and work and move in? Because if we can get to that, surely that's a better definition of success.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of success, while we're we're getting to time now, but I just want to ask you I mean, you are someone, as I mentioned at the start, you know, not to uh, belabor this point, but you're someone that I've looked up to because of how talented you are, of how, you know, successful you are in, in kind of what you do. But has there been a failure that's defined you?
1: Or I that- fail every day, mate. Every <laughs> day. Hmm. So failure is really interesting. Uh, I don't know about, mm-hmm. um, there's lots of examples as a lead, as a school principal, you know, mm-hmm. personally as a, as a partner, probably, you know, like trying mm-hmm. to do too many things and, and be, be a lot, um, to people, you know, trying to be everything to everybody, I think is my, mm-hmm. has been a bit of an Achilles heel of mine. Right. But, you know, failure really, To become a bit of a teacher for a minute, you know, it's just fail, just means a first attempt in learning, you know, actually. Mm. So how might we think of failure as productive struggle? Although it's, it is true. Um, what Jean Piaget, the great educationalist, said, which we don't learn from experience. We learn from reflecting on experience. So what is the reflective practice that we do? And I try to be pretty reflective about, you know, at the end of every week, I have a review day. I, Mm. I write a journal every morning. Um, and that's trying to, to notice my failures, right. Mm-hmm. Cause we are imperfect. Um, but I, I, mean, I would think moving, I was pretty, you know, I was, I was a little naive moving into entrepreneurship, for example, you know, like I didn't <laughs> understand anything, how that worked. And mm-hmm. I'd probably do that slightly different now. Um, uh, definitely being quite a young. Was that with the leader, education change maker? Probably, to, yeah, 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 no, it was yeah, and it's EC mm-hmm. Education Change Bank has learned so much from from that whole process, but I also got to a point where I just burnt myself out, right? And it's because mm-hmm. I was my definition of success, I had lost kind of the grounding, I think, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they're still doing great work um, all mm-hmm. over the world, actually, which is brilliant to see. Uh, but from my own personal journey, like I felt. Uh, I felt like I needed air to go out and test something. So of course I started traveling mm-hmm. basically, and I went to 35 countries last year. Yeah. Um, well, I went in every continent, except the white one, um, mm-hmm. the cold white one, which is still on the list, but you know, so I just had a really wonderful thing. I thought I've been very reflective over that. Um, mm-hmm. cause I do seem to get a bit too enthusiastic about things and then exhaust myself in that process and then need some time to recover. So those seem to be big moments of failure, but, um, they're also enormous opportunities to say, okay, well, am I contributing? Like, am I enjoying what I'm doing? Because all of us get into the kind of the unquestioning unconscious and it's like, well, I have to do this today. And then every now and then I figure out, well, actually, no, I don't, I could choose not to do that and do something else Mm -hmm. instead. Right. But we all, we do love routine and patterns, um, as human beings. And of course, the biggest challenge now is living with this uncertainty. Um, mm-hmm. And how do we, how much uncertainty can we actually handle, right? Is this like the new normal? Um, yep. I don't think it is, but, but definitely the idea of just being agile, being adaptable, um, mm-hmm. but, also, but ultimately at the end of the day, being kind. Like mm-hmm. how do we all practice a bit more self-kindness? And if, if I were to give myself some advice 10 years ago, try to avoid some of the failures, like what would be the learning? It would be just practice self-compassion more, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in, you know, 25, 24 year old, in, in your thirst for learning and knowledge and experience, Mm -hmm. um, just, just practice some self-compassion because at Mm -hmm. some level, self-improvement has to have a belief that you are not, You're you're not valid. You're not loved. You're not acceptable Mm -hmm. at some level, right? And I can't remember who said this, but it's interesting. The quote is: "You change best by feeling good, not by feeling bad." That's interesting.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, and I suppose that's really your your whole ethos and what you're doing is about learning and being able having a passion for learning because. I think, especially in times of uncertainty, that's what's going to save you. Is can you get out there and learn a new skill in
1: in six months? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's the capacity. It's the capacity to learn. Like this is yep. this is mm. the bit. I think it's like our. We will need to do more learning. Our children, if we're ever lucky to have them, will have to do more learning mm. than anyone ever in the history of humankind. Yeah. And so how do we enable people to do learning and, and make learning s- playful so that it mm-hmm. doesn't truly feel like work? I mean, and this mm-hmm. is the big challenge for every leader, I think in the world, you know, even at a national level right now, right? Well, how do we, how do we, you know, in the recession world, how do we reskill entire economies away mm-hmm. from, you know, the really clear mega trends that we see in terms of energy transformation, um, in terms of the way, you know, export baskets are shifting and you bring in geopolitics into that mix and it gets very complicated very quickly. Right. Um, mm-hmm. cause there's lots happening in that space, you know, for us as, yep. you know, trying to be a leader in the Asia Pacific, um, you know, that's, that's really interesting. But the big question is how, how do we really create the environments that are enabling environments? Um, mm-hmm. and that starts with self. Mm-hmm. but it can't end there. It's not just about yep. growth mindset. It's about what Ash Buchanan would call the benefit mindset. How can we be of benefit to others? How can we be generous? Yep. Not just good at what we do. It's why I love the positive psychology world, right? Um, yeah, Because it's about how do we move beyond the pathology of let's mm-hmm. fix the broken to let's actually change the whole paradigm about what success is, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not the absence of pathology, of sickness or illness, it's actually yeah, thriving or flourishing, mm-hmm. um, which are the two, you know, they are really thrive is probably the word of 2020 alongside mm-hmm. pandemic. So, <laughs> um, because the question is, you know, in the work that, that we're doing, um, it's how, how can we seize this opportunity to centralize those human pieces, the social the emotional and the cognitive in a way that enables well-being to be both yeah. an outcome, but also like a present element, you know, it's not about you know, grinding through to get to the holiday to Bali, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just about, you know, the rest and relaxation. It's about the ritual and the routine, you know, mm-hmm. maybe what would it look like if we didn't have to create lives from which we had to escape, including our work yeah. lives. By the way, mm-hmm. you know, rather than like, yes, Friday, amazing. You know, it's the mm-hmm. how do we change how do we make Monday mornings? How do we make Sunday nights like, well, I'm excited for this week of exploration mm-hmm. with these wonderful human beings that I call colleagues doing mm-hmm. this type of work. Now that's pretty idealistic, I know, but yeah. there are there is this thing about do what you love, but there's also love what you do. And mm-hmm. you know, the 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 mindset. I think that- you have I think is hugely powerful and we should pay more attention to that, I think across the board.
0: I mean that does tie tie into meaning and purpose in a big way. I think there's this another quote from Antoine Saint exupery he said, and I'm gonna butcher this one as well. And he says that if you want to teach someone to build a ship, you don't tell you don't teach them to how to gather wood and nail it together and design a ship. You teach them about the majesty of the open sea. Something along those lines.
1: Yeah, no, that's right. And if
0: you understand that, you
1: yeah, you 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 help them yearn for the open sea. Something like that. I've heard something like that. Yeah, it's um, yeah, that's it, mate. That's that's Mm. kind of what all of this thing is about in human development. It's how do we create spaces where people can follow their passions and actually build their purpose. And this is, I think Mm -hmm. a key learning that I've had, and you might agree or disagree, but you know, this idea of finding your purpose, I think is, I think a little dangerous Mm -hmm. because then there's a thing called purpose anxiety, which is quite real. And it's like, well, actually I don't know what I want to do. So then you feel Mm -hmm. insufficient again. So it's this kind Mm -hmm. of double hit. I mean, so the idea is it's, I don't think it's about finding purpose. It's about building purpose. And how do we Mm -hmm. do that through experimentation? We just don't know what we don't know. So in the old, the old kind of saying, you know, to be it, you have to see it. Mm -hmm. And in my work with young people, this is why we should expose young people to a diverse range of different spaces, ideas, mm -hmm. professions, vocations, you know, entrepreneurship, enterprise skills, you know, professionals, whatever it is. Right. I just Mm -hmm. think there's something about expansive music. Exactly. Right. Um, art you know humanities these things really do matter and it's mm-hmm. not just about becoming reductionist and saying well we're not go- we're only going to do things that have a specific job as an outcome because then we lose mm-hmm. the richness of the human experience yeah. right we have to be slightly careful with that yeah. And particularly right now you know, um, you know it has to be and, both and, and not that, another or yeah
0: it's like finding your purpose is so it could be dangerous advice, and and I fall back on uh, what Steve Jobs said in his Stanford address, which was follow your curiosity. Let's go ahead. And then, looking back, it'll kind of make sense in retrospect. Kind of what what you have done. And we we kind of at time, Luca. But I just got a couple of quick questions. Firstly, can you explain what you're doing now with with the learning the learning path? Future, the learning future. Yeah, sorry.
1: I sure uh, I've, I have a portfolio life, mate. So it's mm-hmm. kind of, I get to work on a bunch of cool projects, but one of them is effectively a consulting company that works with schools and, and education systems mm-hmm. called the learning future. And we provide learning strategy and kind of thinking professional development consulting. Uh, so we've done a bunch of really interesting projects and we're kind of in the middle of a bunch of them at the moment as well. Like how might we redesign systems, but how do we also encourage and build capabilities and capacity? So, you know, be that through professional learning or through doing, you know, some thought leadership stuff, but yeah, the idea is, you know, at the default, it's about who we are, what we know and what we, um, what we can do. And so that's how we should design all learning environments, including ones in the learning development corporate space, I think. But then I've also, you know, for my sins, I've, I'm kind of a founding executive of a, of a global alliance for social emotional learning in life school called Karanga. And Karanga is a Maori word, which means a call out and welcome. And so our role there is connecting practitioners, researchers, and policymakers to try to go or connect them to curate ideas and resources and then to help drive action so that we have education systems where social emotional learning is literally built into the core of the system as opposed to some kind of tack on program on a mm-hmm. Thursday afternoon, you know, so we want to really quite reimagine and remake through that work. And that's really exciting actually as well. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, then I, there's a bunch of other things like I run a couple of podcasts as well, which are just mm-hmm. super fun, the learning future podcast and the future city, which is about how do we yeah. develop, you know, our urban environment. So it's not just about what, where we, how we work and where we work, but it's about where we live and how we live. So mm-hmm. how do we think more ecologically about making our, urban environments, greener, healthier, more climate resilient, in particular in a warming world. Um, we've got, we're paying a lot of attention to that here in South Australia anyway. Mm
0: -hmm. And final question is, I mean, something that you brought up that I would like to ask you is, uh, how would you like to be in what way would you be a good ancestor?
1: Ah, That's a great question. Look, I think, I mean, it's pretty closely linked to what's, what's the eulogy, right?
0: Mm.
1: And I can like, like, I have to like, just check in with it, but I think (laughs) to be a good, to be a good ancestor. um, I think ultimately it's about, you know, like what happen what happens when we're no longer here, right? Well, Mm. what lives on depending on your spiritual belief, you know, might be quite Mm. different, but one thing that lives on definitively is the influence that you've had on other people in the world. And if, if I've just been able to kind of, even through like a discreet, what do they call it, um, uh, the idea, this idea of, uh, I'm trying to think of this concept. Someone shared with me just recently, but you know, sometimes all it takes is a conversation, mm-hmm. literally or one comment or one smile. Like we make an impact on the world around us every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't realize that impact. So to be a good ancestor, if, um, any of my descendants, if I'm lucky enough to have any, um, but also mm-hmm. all the people that knew me, you know, really reflected on kind of the way that I could help others feel seen and valued, um, and mm-hmm. elevate their voices, particularly, you know, in the spaces where I, I tend to have particular privilege, um, that, that I think is really important to me. You know, if people say, I love learning or I, I did this thing because mm-hmm. that's great. That's kind of probably the most basic level. That's, probably success and the idea of us being on some kind of path, both in terms of the way that learning happens, um, close to home, but also globally, but also the way, you know, where are we trying to head? What is our destination? If I can have Mm -hmm. moved that a millimeter in terms of Mm -hmm. changing the mental models to what success might be for all of us. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's such a well done.
0: That's amazing. Final question. Sorry, I lied earlier. Um, <laughs> sure, what does the term meaningful work mean to you?
1: I'm going to call upon Alan Watts again. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and it's Alan sort of Watts, a brilliant philosopher. Podcast. he <laughs> has had a big influence on my life. Right. So talk about, sure, you know, yeah. what influence mm-hmm. you want to leave behind? So, mm-hmm. you know, meaningful work to me is about, you know, lighting a fire of curiosity. Um, mm-hmm. Where you realize meaningful work is about contribution. It's not about what you get, it's about what you give and what you create. It's not about what you consume in this consumerist paradigm in which we live, it's about what do you generate and create. So, you know, the secret of life really is, as Alan wants to say, to be totally present in the here and now. And instead of calling it work, realize that it is play. And if we can create those kinds of environments um, as leaders, as colleagues, as employees, as entrepreneurs, then I think we're on our way to a better work life and therefore probably a better society. Cool,
0: man. Any, any closing thoughts Luca?
1: Just mate, keep exploring. I think it's been, it's been great to connect with you after a, a bit of a hiatus and gosh, yeah. the world's changed, but you know, how <laughs> no. might we, how might we reimagine? I think is the point. how can we be really bold out mm-hmm. of this, and now you know the temptation will be just to rush back to what was what was normal. I really think there is something beyond that which is better as yep. opposed to you know before yeah, and no, just for me,
0: really thank you for carving out the time for this. really deeply appreciate it and uh, can 't wait to. Uh, you in person and
1: do this over a coffee or a beer or something mate i'm very excited for that possibility let's hope it's <laughs> it's not too distant in the future all the best cool thanks mate